Welcome back to this six-part video lecture series that will be your primer into Buddhist Taoist esotericism. It is my hope that you'll see this series as an open invitation to learn more about the occult traditions I practice and to find from it something that might deepen yours. Now, this video installment is a long one and might trigger memories of falling asleep in high school social studies class. We're going to cover about roughly 12,000 years of history, give or take, focus on understanding the context of Taoist and Buddhist mysticism in China. The reason I'm so adamant about spending so much time on this subject when I know those who are watching this are just more interested in the practical occult aspects is because, pay attention, history will teach you the practical occult aspects. And even for those of you who are staunchly rooted in Western occultism, learning this history can be kind of an eye-opener, broadly speaking, because you wouldn't believe, or maybe you would, how much crossover there is and similarity between Western and Eastern occultism. I'm so sure that you can learn or at least realize something about your own legacy and traditions when you learn a little more about mine. See, an introduction to Buddhist Taoist esotericism requires an examination of its history and legacy in East Asia because that history has shaped the character of Taoist magic as we witness and experience it today. Taoism and Buddhism in China have always been shaped by historic political forces. For example, Qin Shi Huang, who lived around 250 BC, the first emperor of the Qin dynasty, had an obsession with discovering the elixir of immortality, the Philosopher's Stone, funded and provided enormous resources to Taoist alchemists, and as a result, Taoist magic flourished during the Qin dynasty. Another example is the Yellow Turban Rebellion in the second century during the Eastern Han Dynasty, led by Taoist religious leaders and known sorcerers and occult practitioners. Peasants led by Taoist lineage masters revolted against the reigning emperor. Mongol rulers during the Yuan Dynasty, late 13th century, were suspicious of Taoist sorcerers and therefore suppressed the practice of Taoist magic and witchcraft. As a result, Taoist magic floundered when China was under Mongol rule. During the Qing Dynasty, the Boxer Rebellion, late 1800s, when a martial arts-trained secret society rose to popularity with esoteric beliefs rooted in Taoism, the secret society incited a movement against Western imperialism and what they perceived as an invasion of white foreigners in China. That was right before we entered modern China. And I already hinted at what went down during then in video one. But to get to the roots and the soul of Taoist magic or esoteric Buddhism, we've got to go back to the trinity of ancient dynasty, and that's the Sha, Sheng, and Zhou. To trace Taoist magic back to Chinese shamanism, we're going to begin this lecture in the Neolithic period. All right, let's start at the very beginning, shall we? This is the Neolithic period of China, around 10,000 BC to 2000 BC. The shamanic emperor Fu Shi formulates the He to Early Heaven Ba Gua sequence, or arrangement of the eight trigrams in Taoist metaphysics, which he proposes as a spiral sequence that explains the origins of the universe and the blueprint of this universe. 
According to cultural myth, the Yellow Emperor Huangdi was a magus, considered a shamanic king whose patron deity was Zhou Tianxuanmi, the Lady of the Ninth Heaven. The Lady of the Ninth Heaven imparted a comprehensive body of occult science and military strategy to the Yellow Emperor, and it is that body of occult science that has largely shaped the trajectory of Chinese magic. The imperial court historian under the Yellow Emperor Tang Jie invents Chinese writing by studying the footprints of birds. Writing and literacy were viewed as magical and powerful, and thus was born the perspective that writing is a form of magic, in that sigil crafting becomes a prominent facet of Chinese magic and occultism. The origins of the first sexagenary lunar solar calendar is sourced to the Yellow Emperor's court. The astrological system associated with the lunar solar calendar is called the Yellow Path, Huang Dao, and yes, that's the same Tao as Taoism. This astrological calendar system is still used by Taoist magicians today. The first recorded dynasty of a nationalized China might be the Xia dynasty from 2100 BC to 1600 BC. A shamanic emperor, Yu the Great, devises the Luoshu magic square, which he believed to be a magical formula that can be used in outer and inner alchemy and for controlling the forces of nature. According to cultural mythology, Yu the Great received a divine revelation from the gods, and so the Luoshu magic square was revealed to you the great via the gods. The Xia dynasty is considered to be a golden age for Chinese occultism. Gods, people, and nature were said to have lived in harmony, credited to the practices of the shamans. After the Xia came the Shang dynasty 6100 to 1050 BC. Oracle bones dated to the Shang dynasty contained ceremonial notations of calling upon the four directional deities prior to commencement of ritual or divination. Thus, the practice of calling upon the four directional deities in Chinese ceremonial magic dates back to the Shang dynasty as early as 6000 BC. Toward the end of the Shang dynasty, a shamanic king, King Wen, formulates the 64 hexagrams of the I Ching from the later heaven Bakwa, based on the Luoshu magic square, and using his hexagrams as a method of divination, predicts the fall of the Shang dynasty and the rise of the Zhou. The Zhou dynasty rose to power between 1046 BC and 256 BC. Laozi and the Daodi Jing date back to around 600 to 501 BC. Laozi is credited as the founding father of Taoism as a philosophy of life. Taoism is also the first established religion to be native to China. Zhuangzi, another renowned Taoist philosopher, also lived and taught during the Zhou dynasty. Buddhism enters China after Shakyamuni Buddha is enlightened around 500 BC. Mystics of antiquity almost immediately begin syncretizing it with Taoist shamanism. Confucius and his teachings entered the fold sometime between 551 and 479 BC. 
However desperately, non-Chinese, non-native Taoists want to separate Taoism and Buddhism from Confucianism, from a realistic and cultural standpoint, you can't, at least not in the context of Chinese legacies. If you're going to talk about the history of Taoist occultism, you have to talk about Confucianism. Most of the Taoist alchemists of antiquity identified as Confucianist. Feng Shui and geomancy is flourishing at this time, with notable archaeological records dating back to 700 and 475 BC. Shamanism and Taoism are combined in most records of religious practice during the Zhou dynasty. Although Taoist philosophy, Buddhism in China, Confucianism, and the prominence of folk shamanic practices range over 200 years, Comparatively speaking, given the 12,000 plus years of recorded history of related practices, the close proximity of these belief systems all within the same dynasty explain the natural progression of syncretism or eclectic practice of these traditions. We are now entering the Qin Dynasty, 221 to 206 BC. Taoist alchemy flourishes during the Qin Dynasty because a notorious Qin emperor, Qin Si Huang, was obsessed with using Taoist magic and alchemy to achieve immortality, so he invested an enormous amount of imperial resources to Taoist magicians. He was said to have retained a council of alchemists, sorcerers, and court magicians as large as his army. He put them all to work to use magic to help him come up with the elixir of immortality. Talking head insert. In this obsessive quest, Qin Si Huang brought a great deal of destruction and oppression to the people, emptying the royal treasury in his quest, sending laborers to their deaths to build the Great Wall of China, and also his terracotta army, all sadly in the name of Taoist magic. So let's keep it real with each other here. The belief and pursuit of Taoist magic wasn't always a good thing. Legalism, a philosophy that instructs on how a ruler should govern, becomes syncretized with Taoist sorcery. Alchemists and Taoist ceremonial magicians of this period identify as legalists. Legalism proposed that an authoritarian leader or an organized form of government by the few over the many was necessary, meaning it was oligarchical and elitist. This influence is seen in the organizational structure of many orthodox Taoist magical lineages, where Taoist mystery traditions are staunchly hierarchical with defined authorities at each rank. Conferred titles and defined duties of each title or ranking was imperative. Again, this point of view is prominently found in orthodox Taoist magical lineages, and that cultural practice is the legacy of Chinese legalism. Another key principle in legalism is to generously reward loyalists, but severely punish critics and dissenters. The ethical and morality codes of many Taoist magical lineages reflect that underlying sentiment, generosity and unconditional loyalty to your friends, but no mercy to your enemies. Neo-Taoism also flourishes during this time. Neo-Taoism is a modern label for the form of esoteric Taoism or occult Taoism that began to take defined shape during this era. Basically, it's esoteric Taoism. Now we get into the Han Dynasty, 206 to 220 BC. 
at least a good portion of those watching who identify as Chinese or diasporic Chinese will have heard of the novel The Three Kingdoms. Sanguo, Romance of the Three Kingdoms, was essentially about the decline of the Eastern Han Dynasty and the wars that took place afterward where various figureheads struggled against each other for power over China. It's also during this era in history that we see a documented rise of many Taoist magical traditions founded during the Han Dynasty. Many Taoist traditions today claim heritage from a tradition started during the Han. Many of the magical traditions and ceremonial magic that arose from the Han Dynasty integrated Mahayana Buddhism with Taoist sorcery. You saw the use of hand mudras and recitation of sutras found in Mahayana Buddhism being adopted into Taoist ceremonial magic. The invocation and evocation of Buddhas and Bodhisattvas also became syncretized into Chinese occultism. Buddhist-style mandalas were used in astral travel or astral projection and worked as protection talismans. The intersections between Confucianism and Taoism were forged during this era. Leaders of Taoist traditions subscribed to Confucianism and, as a result, shaped lineage practices and beliefs in accordance to Confucianism. That blended perspective between Confucianism and Taoist occultism still thrives today. The Han Dynasty itself was considered a golden renaissance period for most of its reign. There were incredible technological innovations during this time, like paper making with the oldest paper traced back to this time period, advancements in metal crafting for stronger weapons and agricultural tools. The silk loom was invented during this time and later paved the way for the Silk Road, which brought increased international trade for the Chinese and greater economic prosperity. And even the first seismograph was also invented during this time. Toward the end of the Han, as we enter the Three Kingdoms era, palace eunuchs pretty much had effective control over the imperial court. The eunuchs had control over Emperor Ling of Han, who was emperor of China from about the age of 13 to the age of 34. The young emperor wasn't interested in politics or ruling. He just wanted to indulge in women and a decadent lifestyle. So he, in effect, handed his keys to the palace over to corrupt eunuchs who ruled in his name. During Emperor Ling's reign, you had several natural disasters that ravaged the countryside, and despite the suffering of the Chinese, the imperial court imposed even heavier taxation because at the time they were trying to raise capital for the construction of the Silk Road. The eunuchs, who had gained control of the court, were ineffective, inexperienced, and generally corrupt and self-interested rulers. The rich were getting richer, and the poor were getting poorer which fertilized the rise in power of one particular Taoist magical lineage, Zhang Daoling, a celestial master and ceremonial magician who founded the Wu Dou Mi Dao, lineage of esoteric Taoism, came into notoriety. Wu Dou Mi Dao is translated as the five grains of rice. How did they rise to power? As the rich got richer and the poor got poorer, the secret order of the five grains of rice stepped in to provide free healing magic to the sick, provision food to the hungry, and dispense with their magical services generously for the mere token price of five grains of rice. That's how the order got their name. Through Zhang Daoling, the order of the five grains established an institutionalized religion, a Taoist sect into which you could join simply through the donation of, yep, you guessed it, five grains of rice. In this way, the Taoist order amassed huge support from the peasant class. 
As we progress through the Eastern Han period, Taoist magicians became renowned for practicing forms of faith healing to heal the sick. And during this time, we also see a rise in the uses of paper food talismans as part of these Taoist lineages' magical practice. These magicians also gave prophecies and performed divinations. There was yet another secret society of Taoist magicians established around this time, the Tianshi, who also gained favor from the common people for providing free healing magic to the poor. The Taoist magical orders were able to rally such peasant support and were so organized with their military strategy that they became the effective catalyst for the Yellow Turban Rebellion that overthrew the corrupt eunuchs and Emperor Ling. Now, to maintain a balanced reflection of Taoist magic in Chinese history, the heads of these Taoist magical lineages did go down in history notoriously, often looked upon negatively by the Chinese public consciousness because of their affiliation with Cao Cao, a warlord, and considered an antagonist in the Three Kingdoms. Cao Cao, considered a foreigner, took control of the Han Dynasty in its last years. To maintain his power, Cao Cao knew that he needed the support of the Taoist magical orders, so he curried favors and gained their support. Cao Cao even married his daughter off to a Taoist sorcerer, a descendant of Zhang Daoling, who had become a revered and deified figure in Taoist magic. Even today, many Taoist sorcerers to perform their spellcrafting and magic will summon Zhang Daoling. You may remember the name from my Tinkering Bell video on Thunder Magic. Okay, now I'm going to move along real quickly through the next few dynasties, like a thousand years of history that I'm just going to foom. After the Han came the Jin dynasty, when Taoist magic thrived, when many members of the aristocracy and government officials were also practicing Taoist alchemists. Okay, skip about 160 years. In the Sui dynasty, 581 AD to 618 AD, you start to see Taoism become more institutionalized at the national scale. The Tang Dynasty, one of the more well-known dynasties of Chinese history, is another point when Taoist magic thrived. Esoteric or mystical forms of Buddhism also thrived during this era. When you talk about most of the established Orthodox Taoist lineages today, they tend to trace their origins back to the Tang as well. Fu Talismans, which is the subject of my second book, thrived during this era. This is now 600 to 900 AD. Fu talismans weren't something esoteric or mystical. It was part of the mundane part of everyday life. People in medieval China from all social classes used food talismans for everything you can conceive of as a travel protection, home protection, better health, ensuring a well-arranged marriage, fertility, and birth of sons, hexes, curses, retaliation against your enemies, fame and fortune, everything. We should also understand that these terms of distinction we're making today, esoteric Buddhism versus, hmm, I don't even know what, religious, mainstream, philosophical Buddhism, the distinction was non-existent in antiquity. The practice and the faith of Chinese Buddhism was very, for lack of a better term, mystical, magical, deeply ritualistic. Mantras and Dharanis were used in ceremonial magic. Some form of magic mixed in with either Buddhism or Taoism was practiced by all classes. Shingon Buddhism in Japan also started when its founder, Master Kukai, journeyed from Japan to China during the Tang Dynasty and took back to Japan with him relics of esoteric Buddhism. We also see Chinese esoteric Buddhism entering Korea, or more specifically for the era, era the Kingdom of Koryo. Shinto, by the way, in Mandarin is Shen Dao. What are those two Chinese characters? Shen means spirit, Dao is the same Dao as Taoism. 
Song Dynasty from 960 AD to 1279 AD. This is the Middle Ages in Europe. China's population booms. There's an economic revolution. Confucianism is going strong. Buddhism, all good. During the Tang and Song Dynasties, Buddhism and Taoism are like doing the tango or maybe the paso doble. My ballroom metaphor is probably all wrong. Point is, Buddhism and Taoism are like frenemies. Can't live with each other, can't live without. The national importance placed on esoteric Taoism and forms of Taoist magic is waxing and waning up and down, going through a surge in popularity, and then it's suppressed up and down, basically depending on who's in charge. By the way, this was also the period of several female Taoist magicians who rose to power and infamy. Now we get to the Yuan Dynasty, 1279 to 1360 AD. During the Yuan Dynasty, Taoist magic is suppressed. The Yuan Dynasty, when China and the Han people, the descendants of the dragon, were ruled by foreigners, the Mongols, brought a significant decline in Taoism. There was a purging of Taoist magic, with many magical records, grimoires, and books burned, and those who practiced Taoist magic were feared. Witchcraft had a rather negative connotation, and Taoist magic was seen as a form of witchcraft. The Mongols weren't really big fans of Taoist sorcery and were kind of freaked out by it. So what do you do when you're scared of something? That's right, you ban and suppress it. The imperial ordered widespread purge of magical texts and grimoires, one of the more massive, memorable book burnings in world history, was quite the setback for Taoist magical traditions. As a result, many lineages and traditions of Taoist magic were lost and altogether erased during the Yuan Dynasty. Today, reconstructionist efforts to revive these lost traditions have become part of contemporary cultural practice, but we have to remember they are just reconstructionist efforts. The more orthodox, you know, shall we say, hardcore Taoist mystery traditions were repressed and persecuted, but the Taoist mystery traditions that integrated Buddhist religious principles, well, that was somehow seen as less threatening. So toward the tail end of the Yuan, you start to see Taoist magic integrating Buddhist-inspired moral codes like veganism, advocacy of non-harm, and adopting Buddhist religious principle. Buddhism flourished during the Yuan. So perhaps as a strategy for survival, Taoist occultists identified themselves as Buddhist and under the guise of Buddhism, passed on some of their occult ceremonial practices. Oh boy, lots of history to get through. I'll try to speed up. Okay, Ming Dynasty, 1368 to 1644 AD. After the Yuan came the Ming, when Taoism makes a slight comeback and regains some foothold. Under Mongol rule, there was quite a bit of discrimination against the Han and anything native Chinese. So when the Mongol rule was overthrown, there was also a resurgence of celebrating all things native Chinese, and that included Taoism. By the way, it was Buddhist secret societies in China that led the revolt against the Mongols and triumphed. So esoteric Buddhism is also kind of a big deal during this time. Many Buddhist mystical texts and books of methods in this era made reference to battle magic. Battle magic, that seems kind of non-Buddhist. Now we get to the Qing Dynasty, 1644 to 1912. Taoist sorcery is suppressed during this era. In general, there's a notable decline of Taoism, both exoteric and esoteric schools taking place during the Qing Dynasty. Taoist texts are intentionally excluded from the imperial library, and by Taoist, I mean alchemy, ceremonial magic, spellcrafting, shamanism, divination, and these sacred texts or grimoires, the Book of Methods, for centuries-old mystery traditions. There is also a public shift away from Taoist magic. Taoist magic is 
seen as an antithesis of modern science, whereas in the dynasties of antiquity, practitioners of Taoist magic came from nobility. By the Qing, those who practiced Taoist magic were seen as low class, lowbrow, uneducated, pagan, and superstitious. After 1912, we see the rise of modern China. Through the general rise of global modernism, Taoist magical traditions flounder. Both the nationalists, also known as the KMT, the Kuomintang, and the communists of modern China tended toward a general condemnation of Taoism. Key nationalist leaders and ruling families at this time were evangelized Christians. In fact, Christianity was viewed as high class, educated, and sophisticated. Taoist occultism, low class, uneducated, and primitive. Blah. Also, during the Cultural Revolution, there was a general widespread suppression of all religions, including Christianity by that point. In modern communist China, Taoism and Taoist magic were seen as backwards, antiquated, superstitious, and even dangerous. Anything related to Taoist magic was burned and destroyed, at best ridiculed, at worst reviled. No one would have openly referred to themselves as Taoist, at least not without experiencing bias, discrimination, and being ostracized. During the Cultural Revolution, there was persecution of Taoist magical and occult practitioners. If you were brave enough to openly identify as an occultist, mystic, or practitioner of any form of Taoist sorcery, you would have been condemned and punished. A forced book burning took place of all traditional texts, including Taoist grimoires. That's right, another big book burning before we entered the 21st century. Yay! And that's our history lesson. The relationship between Taoism and Buddhism throughout Chinese history is fascinating, since pretty much the beginning they've been intertwined with Taoism borrowing heavily from Buddhism, where Buddhas and Bodhisattvas are assimilated into the Taoist pantheon of deities. Taoist gods and goddesses are turned into Bodhisattvas. Practicing Chinese Buddhists, especially in southern China, Hong Kong, and Taiwan, often seem to integrate many rituals or practices that are more Taoist than Buddhist. For example, ancestor worship, going to a temple for talismans, and even fortune-telling, because while fortune-telling and divination are very much a part of Taoist tradition, if you want to get technical, it's not Buddhist, yet Chinese Buddhists in their practice will make it Buddhist. So throughout Chinese history and culture, there's a lot of crossover between Taoism and Buddhism. In the next video of this series, I'll be covering the cultural practice of Taoist sorcery.